I'd like to turn your attention this morning to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 25. 1 Samuel, chapter 25. Our text will be taken from a portion of verse 25 in chapter 25. Before we begin that, We would like to say, or we'd like to make this sort of leading comment, that as you read through the Bible, you will come to realize that many people uh, and places in the Bible were given names for a specific reason. Uh, That reason may be a characteristic that is uh, specific to that place, or that name is given... Uh, as a reason that is a specific interaction that people had with the Lord. So, for example, when you begin to read the Bible, you will come across Genesis chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. Uh, Genesis 11, verse 9 says that the name of, therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord there did confound the language of all the earth. Surely you know that story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, You read a little bit further in Genesis 22, when Abraham is offering his son Isaac on top of the mountain. Uh, Isaac is taken down, and a ram is put in its place. And it says that Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, for in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 23, It says that when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. Fairly obvious, right? Uh, And then you know that that name Marah is a title that Ruth, excuse me, that Naomi in the book of Ruth took upon herself there in Ruth chapter 1. When she returned back to the town of Bethlehem, they said, it's not this Naomi. And she said, call me not Naomi, but call me Mara. For the Lord hath dealt very bitterly with me. That's Ruth chapter 1 and verse 20. Our text this morning then is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse 25. Wherein Abigail says to David, let not, that's interesting, I apologize for that. Hmm. Hmm. Apologize for that. First uh, Samuel 25, verse 25, Naomi says, excuse me, Abigail says to uh, David, let not. My Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Let's understand here a little bit some of these characters that are being introduced to us here. In 1 Samuel 25, beginning of the chapter, Samuel the prophet dies. 
And it says that David flees down to the wilderness of Paran. As he's down there, he will have an interaction with the uh, shepherd men of Nabal. He will then encounter Nabal himself and Abigail, Nabal's wife. In verse 2, the Bible tells us that there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. The man was very great, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, I don't know if I'm making too much out of this, but it is very interesting to me that we find out more about the man than the man himself when we first meet him. We find out he's great, but we find out that he's great in worldly substances, which may be the greatest thing about him. When I read that, I thought of that verse in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, wherein the Lord himself said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Evidently, Nabal is great in worldly substances and nothing more. His life simply consists of what he has and not who he is. Notice the transition that's laid out here for us. It says in verse 2, there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal. The name of his wife was Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding and of beautiful countenance. The man was churlish and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. What did we find out about her when the Bible introduces her to us? Her name is Abigail. She is of good understanding and a beautiful countenance. In other words, she's an intelligent person. She's beautiful on the inside and it is reflected by her beauty on the outside. There is much more to her than what she possesses. She's introduced as his wife. We find out about her intelligence. We find out about her countenance. And as you read through this story, which it's not my intent to uncover everything about this, but as you read through this story, uh, you will find that she displays grace to everybody that's around her. And in humility, she is going to save her entire household from destruction. Because Nabal is going to do something that's going to anger David. And David makes a, he, he makes a point, he makes an oath, that by sundown, I'm going to kill every man in that house. And when Abigail hears about this, 
She sets things in motion. She sets plans in motion to deliver her household. She very much reminds me of the woman in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 1, where it says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down. And that is exactly what you are seeing within this chapter. She is a wise woman who is uh, attempting to uh, keep her household together. And her husband is the fool who had somebody not interceded on his behalf. His household would have been destroyed by sundown. Bible says that he was churlish and evil in his doings. That's what your text said, right? Uh, here's there, there are several passages within this chapter uh, that if you read some of the modern translations that are put out in this world, you miss great jewels of truth. The Bible says he was churlish and evil in his doings. One translation said that uh, he, was a, he, he was a man who did bad things. He behaved very badly. Doesn't quite paint the picture here. This chapter is not trying to paint you a picture of a man who just made a bad decision. This man is churlish. This man is rude. This man is selfish. This man is hard. This man is obstinate. He is not just behaving badly. He is bad. A little note to that is found in... Well, in verse 14, we find uh, an individual called the young man who tells... Abigail uh, about a, uh, a conflict between David's men and Nabal. And he warns Abigail, David is sending his men to destroy us. Notice the description of this man in verse 17 when uh, the young man, notice the very last portion of that. The young man says that he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. So Nabal doesn't just do bad things. Nabal is bad, right? You get the point? And then that's what, that's what Abigail had said to David in verse 25, let not my Lord regard this man of Belial. So it's not that he just has a bad attitude. It's not that he just does bad things. He is a bad person. Because she says, Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. The title of the message is, As His Name Is, So Is He. As his name is, so is he. That's what the text says. 
Nabal is his name. In the Hebrew, the uh, Hebrew word for fool is the Hebrew word, guess what? Nabal. When you look it up in your Strong's Concordance, the uh, Hebrew word, uh, Hebrew 5037, or from the Hebrew word 5036, is the Hebrew word Nabal. Now, not every time you find the word fool or folly in the Old Testament is it translated from that word, but there are several scriptures where it is translated from that word. So, for example, Psalms 14, verse 1, Psalm 53, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The, the Nabal has said in his heart, there is no God. In Proverbs 17 and verse 7, it says, Excellent speech becometh not a fool, much less do lying lips a prince. Proverbs 17 verse 21, He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow, and the father of a fool hath no joy. He that begetteth Nabal, Doeth it to his sorrow. And he that hath a Nabal, or the father of a Nabal, hath no joy. I'll give you one more, though. This one I found particularly fascinating. Uh, Turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17. Jeremiah, chapter 17, and begin reading with the 11th. Verse. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 11 says, As the partridge sitteth on eggs and hatcheth them not, so he that getteth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days and at his end shall be a fool. At his end shall be a Nabal. Let's look at what this passage says here. It talks about the partridge sitting on eggs that do not hatch. The book of Job, chapter 39, Job talks about the fact that God has not given wisdom to every animal. And in Job chapter 39, you begin reading with verse 13. Job says, Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich? Notice what he says here, Job 39 verse 14. Which leaveth her eggs in the earth, and warmeth them in the dust. And forgetteth that the foot may crush them, or that the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. So Job makes the point here, these animals that warm their eggs in the dust of the earth. Do so with... No thought 
that an animal may come along and steal them and eat them, or that a human may come along and step upon them. And the connection that he makes is the man who gains wealth unfairly, or the man who gains wealth without working for it, will essentially in the end leave his wealth and be a fool. Matthew Henry says the rich man takes a great deal of pains to get an estate together and sits brooding upon it, but never has any comfort nor satisfaction in it. His projects to enrich himself by sinful courses miscarry and come to nothing. Quite an interesting thought that's being laid out here for us. She said, Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. I'd like to read to you a uh, passage from a book called The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery on the subject of folly. Folly is the opposite of wisdom in the Bible. And the fool is the opposite of the wise person. While the culture of our own day gives no vivid conception of what constitutes folly, to the ancient mindset, folly was a living reality, not only having a definite meaning, but also conveying palpable images. The classic text is the book of Proverbs, buttressed by several verses in Ecclesiastes. The Bible is not unclear when it teaches lessons of morality to us. Our culture is not concerned about what is wise or unwise. Our culture is concerned about what is popular. They don't put people on TV because they're wise or they're unwise. They put people on TV because they're popular and people watch them. They're not saying, here's an idiot, don't do this. They're saying, here's an idiot, doesn't this look fun? I mean, we all know a word that we would call somebody who is acting a fool. He's acting just like jackass. There's a TV show called that. And all it is is a bunch of big children doing stupid things. Seeing how close to death they can get and not die. We have elevated morons in this nation to the position 
of stars. The Bible does not address what is popular. The Bible teaches us lessons about what is wise and what is not wise. And what is the benefit of being wise and what is the failure of being a fool. When you read through the book of Proverbs, I I mean, it paints vivid pictures. Images in your mind that you can clearly see. This action is unwise. This action is wise. And it tells you the end of both of them. She says that Nabal is his name, and as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. So when when we reference Jeremiah, he says, He that getteth riches and not by right. That applies a little bit here to Nabal's situation. Let's go, let's go back to 1 Samuel 25 and let's kind of look at, uh, let's kind of back up a little bit at this and, ta- and take a run at this. In 1 Samuel 25, in verse 1, the last half of it, it said that David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. David is going to, in verse 5, send ten men to Nabal and tell them to go to him in my name, but also there, there should be a little marker in your Bible if you have a, a center column reference Bible that in verse 5 when he says, greet him in my name, there should be a little marker in your center column where it says, uh, ask him in my name of peace. David is coming to Nabal in a peaceful manner. You say, what's the big deal about making that mention? Well, read the verse. Notice uh, verse 6. Thus shall ye say to him that liveth in prosperity. Who is he? He's not a poor man. He's not a beggar. He's a man who lives in prosperity. Peace be both to thee. And peace be to thine house. And peace be unto all that thou hast. These new translations leave out the word peace completely. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Remember, this is a Jew that's speaking here. Remember? They live in a city called Jerusalem, the house of peace. This is not a flippant. These aren't flippant words that are just coming out of David's head. When you remove that from the text, you remove the authenticity of the person speaking. You also you also disconnect from the New Testament. From a man that you know quite a bit about in John 14 and verse 27, whom David is a great type and shadow of. 
And that man in John 14, 27 said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What do y'all want in this day? Y'all just want politicians to stand up and tell you what you think? You just want politicians to stand up and tell you what you believe? Only way you can tell a politician's line is if the lips are moving. What we want in this day and age is in the midst of the problems and the turmoils and the trials in this world, we want to have peace in our life. The world may burn itself to the ground. Who cares what the world does to itself? He says, my peace I leave with you. John 16, he says, These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Friends, when you rewrite this book, to make it popular, you miss the authenticity of it, and you miss, you shut doors to hallways of truth that people will probably never find. David says, Go to Nabal in peace. David then reminds Nabal of the protection provided to his shepherds. Notice in uh, verse 7, he says, And I have heard that thou hast shearers. Now thy shepherds, which were with us, we hurt them not, Neither was there aught missing unto them, and all the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee. And that is true. He says, ask, ask your young men whether this statement is true. That statement is true because that's also the statement that the young man replaced to Abigail in uh, verse 14. The young man told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master. And he railed on them. Verse 15. But the men were very good to us. And we were not hurt. Neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They, they were a wall unto us both by night and day all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. All right, let's, let's imagine what we've got here to, to see the picture. David flees and goes down into the wilderness of Paran, and evidently, as he's down there, his men encounter 
Nabal's men. Now, <clears throat> some of the commentaries you read on this, they say, well, David turned into a mercenary and he's just sort of uh, muscle for hire. I don't really get that from the text. Could be. Don't know. Do know that according to what this text says, there was some sort of agreement, though, that it occurred. You have these shepherds out there tending the sheep, and you have this army that they meet. And so long as that army is there and that army is kind to them and they're kind to the army, the army protects the shepherds and the sheep from wild beasts that would come at night and steal their animals or other invading marauders who would come and steal their animals. They are completely protected by David's men. Can you not see that that would probably contribute to Nabal's wealth? Can't you see that? He's not losing sheep. He's not losing goats. He's not losing oxen. They're just breeding and breeding and breeding and breeding. And they're just growing and growing and growing. And David said, ah, <clears throat> you have what you got. In part because of us. So, we're down here at the time of the sheep shearing. And it seems to be the general consensus that this was also a festival time. So you have these rich men out here. They're shearing their sheep. Got all this action going on. And he's really kind of parading things out there. Look at who I am and what I've got. And so David says, you know, kind of while you're uh, out here shearing and you're having a party... Wouldn't be too much of a hard thing in verse, 18, in verse 8 when he says, Wherefore let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day, and I pray thee whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants, or excuse me, I pray thee whatsoever cometh to thy hand unto thy servants and to thy son David. What? Hey man, we're just asking for a little bit of food. Maybe some other provisions. Maybe a little barter system here. We provided you protection. You grew. How about something for us? That's not unreasonable, is it? Uh, just kind of think through the process. Maybe somebody says, well, let me tell you what Nabal thinks. Nabal says in verse 10, who is David? And who is this son of Jesse? I didn't ask you to come down here. I didn't ask you to protect me. You did that on your own. I don't owe you anything. Does this sound familiar? And then he says, in verse 11, Shall I take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed from my shearers and give it unto men, men whom I, I know not, where'd you even come from? I don't even know who you are. I don't owe you anything. Send that back to your little boy David. 
Quite an attitude here, isn't it? Quite an ungrateful, proud, self-centered attitude. Do you notice notice what he said? It's my meat, my water. I've made it for my shearers. Without realizing, as we had already said before, had David and his men not protected them in whatever time period that was, he may not have half of what he has. You know, in other words, didn't none of y'all ask God to save you, but he saved you anyways. Right? What do you owe him? Everything. How foolish would it be for us to say to God, I didn't ask you to do this. You did that on your own. Hmm, right? See where we're going with this? Always got to be about us, doesn't it? Well, it's always got to be a good lesson. See, the Bible says, as his name is, so is he. And Nabal certainly lived up to his name, didn't he? I don't know if that was a nickname given to him. We don't know if his mama gave him that name or his daddy gave him that name. You say, well, who, who would give a child such a rotten name? You not read the Bible? Benjamin's name is the son of the right hand, right, in the Bible? But when his mother was bringing him into this world, she died in childbearing and she called his name Benoni, son of my sorrow. Boy, who wants to go through life with a name like that? But that's, that's what she named him, son of my sorrow, as her soul was in departing. His father comes along and changes his name to Benjamin. And calls him son of the right hand. I don't know if they named him that or if he developed this name, but uh, the reality is, is he sure lived up to it. And he's not called Nabal the fool because he and Abigail had minor disagreements. We're going to disagree over how to fold the towels. We're going to disagree over how to squeeze the toothpaste tube. Here's an interesting thing. If you have a problem on how to squeeze the toothpaste tube, you want to know how to fix that? Yeah, hey, just do it right. No, 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 no. You want to know how to fix the problem? Get two tubes. Not that hard. Can't afford two tubes. I'll buy you one. If the cost between you living together or apart is the cost of a toothpaste tube, let a brother know I'll help you out. But he's not a fool because they have minor disagreements. He acted the fool. Because he was a fool. He is in name and in nature a fool. And his interactions with other people demonstrated who and what he was. His interaction with David didn't make him a fool. Oh, and by the way, He wasn't a fool because people allowed him to be a fool. 
He was a fool because that's who he was. Now let me ask you this. Up to this point, I may have said some ugly things. I may have said some frightening things. I may have said some unpleasant things. Depending on the person you're thinking about that this applies to. But I've not said anything wrong. Because we all know people that this applies to. Whether it applies to somebody you know. Or whether it applies to you. That's, that's for y'all to decide. But we all know people like this. And if we can accept that truth about a man. If we can learn this much of a lesson from such a small little man, how much more of a lesson can we learn from a man greater than him? The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 1, Proverbs 22 and verse 1, the Bible says that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Well, I'd like to be rich. I'd like to be a lot richer than I am. But when I die, and that hyphen is engraved on my tombstone, that little two-inch hyphen that's going to be the sum of my entire life, what will that hyphen say? Well, he died rich. Yeah, but he still died. He died honest. He still died. But the Bible says that a good name is rather to be had than great riches. James asks a question to us in James chapter 2 and verse 7. James chapter 2 verse 7 speaking about the wicked men of this world. He says, do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? Doesn't the world around us blaspheme that worthy name that you're called by? Do you see the world around you raising a flag to Christ? Do you see them raising a flag, raising a statue in our nation to Almighty God? No, currently they're raising statues to the devil. Have y'all seen that? Y'all paying attention to the news? They're raising satanic statues in certain places of politics and government in our nation. And we wonder why our nation is in chaos when our political leaders are allowing statues of the devil to to, to be erected. How foolish are we? Because they are definitely blaspheming that worthy name that you are called by. But you know, it's not just a good name and it's not just a worthy name. It's even more than that. First Chronicles chapter 16 Notice what is said to us in verse 8 of 1 Chronicles 
chapter 16. It says, Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Here's an interesting thought also. As we said earlier, that we learned more about what Nabal did than we learned his name. We learned Abigail's name, then we learned what she did. See the reverse of that? See how many times in the Bible that you find the name of God first, and then you find out about the works of God. Well, what does it say here? Give thanks unto the Lord. Number one, call upon His name and make known His deeds among the people. Sing unto Him, sing psalms unto Him, talk ye of all His wonderful works. Glory ye in His holy name. And let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. So it's not just a good name. And it's not just a worthy name. It's a holy name. Oh, and it's not just a worthy name or a holy name or a good name. Psalm 111 and verse 9 reminds us, holy and reverend is His name. There's a reason that we don't call our preachers Reverend. The only time the word reverend appears in Scripture is in this verse that I just quoted to you, Psalm 111, verse 9. Holy and reverend is God's name. See, as His name is, so is He. His name is good because He's good, His name is worthy. Because He is worthy. His name is holy. Because He's holy. His name is reverend because He is reverend. His name is the Lord God Almighty because He is Almighty. As He is, so is He. He is not good because people allow Him to be good. He is good because He is God. He is not holy because people allow Him to be holy. He is holy because He is God. He is not almighty because people allow Him to be almighty. He is almighty because He is God. As His name is, so is He. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Surely y'all know this one. After just coming through this recent holiday season, surely you know this one, Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, what? Wonderful. Counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. The Prince of peace. Notice what Isaiah does. He tells us the name of this person we're talking about, and then he tells us what this person is going to do. He says, Of the increase of his government and peace, 
there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Notice it did not say that the zeal of the Lord of hosts would like to do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is attempting to do this. It is the plan of God to do this. It says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Why? As His name is, so is He. He cannot be anything other than who He says He is. Jesus Himself said... The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness of me. In Matthew chapter 1, in verse 21, the angel came to Joseph and said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. Let me ask you this question as his name is, is he? Thou shalt bring forth a son. Did she bring forth a son? Yes, she did. Did they call his name Jesus? Yes, they did. Did he save his people from their sins? That is the question to be answered. If you cannot answer that question, don't try and explain any of the rest of the Bible. If when He died on the cross, He did not save His people from their sins, then this text is lying. The angel said when He comes, you need to call Him Jesus. Why? Because the name Jesus means Savior. And He shall save His people from their sins. Because as His name is, so is He. He is not an attempting Savior. He is not a trying Savior. He is not an almost Savior. He is the Savior, the elect family of God. He came into this world riding upon a donkey, or He came into Jerusalem riding upon a donkey, upon a colt, the fall of an ass, having salvation, the Bible tells us. He is salvation. As His name is, so is He. No wonder Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2 that God has given Him a name that is above every name. No wonder Peter would say in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 that there's no name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. See, Nabal wasn't a fool because people let him be a fool. He was a fool because Nabal was a fool. Jesus is not a Savior because people let Him save them. Jesus is the Savior because He's Jesus. He is the Savior because that was His job. He is the Savior because He's the only one that has salvation. Salvation is not in the water. Salvation is not in the church. 
Salvation is not in a prayer. Salvation is what God Himself did in history past all by Himself when He invaded this old wretched world and went to the cross and rose again three days later for your justification. That is your salvation. Not you raising a hand at an altar call. Not you getting happy. By the way. Have you noticed how the world around us has sort of the tendency to turn false religion loose and on its head? What are we arguing about nowadays in, in, in the public square? <clears throat> Lots of things, preacher. Are you paying attention? Yes, but let's narrow it down to at least one thing. What are we arguing about nowadays? Pronouns. How people identify. Whether they feel like a woman or not. It won't equal rights for women, but can't tell me what a woman is. Don't make no sense to me. But if you'll just make up in your mind and decide to identify, you can be a woman. Or if you just make it up in your mind, kind of confused in your head, and you want to think you're a man, just you can identify as a man. Or if you want to identify as a polar bear or a wildcat or a Mississippi raccoon or a porcupine, doesn't matter what it is, just make it up in your mind, you decide. But it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous, isn't it? We listen to these people argue, we listen to these people talk, and it takes you about 30 seconds to realize this person has no idea what they're talking about. Kind of reminds you of that woman over there in the book of Proverbs where he says a, a foolish woman is clamorous. You know what the word clamorous means? The word clamorous means repeating over and over words with yelling and nothing to it. So, you know, you go down to the little pride rally or you go down to the little abortion rally and say, what does abortion mean to you? My body, my choice, my body, my choice, my body, my choice. I mean, I've seen these people out there. They, they look like fools. No kidding. But what are they doing? Yelling over and over things that really don't matter because they're clamorous. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Y'all ready for this one? Oh, by the way, we're not going to have them teaching their kids down at, down at the schoolhouse this theory of evolution. Somewhere way back in the past, there was the goo that crawled out on the ground and wound up at the zoo and then one day chopped off its tail and walked out and became you. Can't have them teaching garbage like that, right? That's ridiculous. Things don't just evolve like that. It's foolish, right? No sensible person who believes in God in the first chapter of Genesis believes in evolution. Right? Do you realize everything that I've just outlined for you is being taught down at the public school is also being taught at church right down the street? Huh? See, if you just make up in your mind, you can decide to be a child of God. If you just want to identify as a child of God today, well, just raise your hand. And you can change 
from a goat of this world unto a sheep of God. Just make it up in your mind. It's all about you. It's all about how you feel today. That ain't what true religion is, is it? We are who we are as Christians. Not because we have made it up in our mind to be a Christian, but because God has put it in our hearts to love Him. Amen. We love Him because He first loved us. First John. See, Nabal was a fool because by his nature, he was a fool. Jesus Christ is the Savior because by His nature, He's the Savior. You and I are children of God because by the new implanted righteousness of Jesus Christ, we belong to Him. Not because of what we have done, but because of the new birth that He has put in us. As His name is, so is He. My friends, if God has called you by your name and called you by His name too, don't forget there's text in the Bible that says He has called you by His name. Then you know who you belong to? You belong to Him. Now, <clears throat> you may not feel like it. And there are some days that are better than others, right? There are some days where we feel closer to the Lord than, when we, than, than at other times. But Paul reminds us when he spoke to Timothy. He says, if we believe not, he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny what he has done for you on the cross of Calvary. He cannot deny that He has put your sins away as far as the east is from the west. You may not completely understand it. And you may not always feel like it. But if He's called you by His name, you belong to Him. You belong to Christ the Savior as He is, as His name is, so is He. May God bless the truth and pardon any error is our prayer.